0: Hi, Brad Jersak here. I'm here to tell you about my new book, A More Christlike Way. We're going to be talking about the Jesus Way, or the Jesus Walk. I'll start the book with some conversation about deconstruction, which is a very popular term these days, and I'll offer some alternative metaphors that I think are more gentle, such as art restoration, for example. Then we'll get into four counterfeit ways, ways that we've constructed that try to co-opt Christianity and turn it into Christless religion. Ways that have a moralistic attitude to it, or perhaps us-them mentalities and exclusion, or civil religion for that matter. But then we'll get to the heart of the book. Seven facets of the Christlike way. And those facets will include such gems as radical inclusion, radical hospitality, radical surrender, radical forgiveness, and so on. In this book, Jesus shows us what it is to be human.
1: Well, pleasure being here today and super excited for this new series. And uh, thanks for the introduction as well and letting me kick off the series. So definitely appreciate it. So as far as this book goes, Um, I've been familiar with Brad Jerzak for a little while, and been on my own spiritual journey, like we all have, for for years. And um, a lot of my deconstruction, as it's popularly uh, uh, termed, started around 2013. And shortly after I found Brad Jerzak and some other uh, speakers and um, authors who really shaped and impacted my life. So um, I'm excited to go through the series. Thanks for Um, We're going through it, and I'm excited to be part of this community where we can go through a a journey like this together and learn from each other. So, appreciate your time here this morning, and definitely get plugged into the Wednesday Night Connect group if you can. Um, Thanks for plugging it. Uh, We've had so many good books and conversations and discussions and um, just learning from each other. We all have so much to share and and life experiences, and I always love hearing um, from each person in the group, so definitely join. As far as the the book goes, it starts off in a, even before the chapters begin, in a kind of read this first area, which I thought had some really good um, elements and topics as part of it. And one was that um, the Jesus way, which is what we'll be talking about throughout the series, uh, is very risky to talk about because sometimes in talking about following the Jesus way, it can, you know, taking up your cross, you know, loving our enemies, those types of things. People can get into a, a religious striving or a, uh, either a perfectionism or a cynicism, and it can have unintended side effects. So just one nugget to remember is that we can't, by sheer force of will, try to run the hamster wheel of religion. We can't try to strive our way into becoming more Christ-like and it can lead to either failure or disappointment, just trying and trying and trying, or it can lead to pride and hypocrisy, like the Pharisees in Jesus's day. And uh, one example in, in the Bible is Saul of Tarsus. He was one of the most zealots, zealous um, you know, uh, disciples of the day. He knew scriptures backwards and forwards, and he was overly zealous, and then he found the Jesus way. And um, that's what we want to do in this series is not find the new, you know, 10 steps to be a better evangelical or, or climb the ladder and, and perform and do and strive. It's about surrendering to grace, surrendering to the fact that we're already accepted, we're already loved, and then live out of that overflow. So that's really what this is about and a good context for this series because we as we're talking about the Jesus way, we don't want to get caught up in some of the negative elements. So one funny story is uh, this week we, uh, we purchased a new home, which is very exciting. We closed, we moved, and uh, of course there's a lot of unpacking and a million things to think about, such as, you know, switching electricity, switching, you know, turning on the gas, all those different elements. I was working from home on Tuesday, I believe it was, and uh, all of a sudden I, I realized, you know, I go to turn the water on and nothing's coming out. I'm like, oh man. So I'm like checking the pipes, I'm trying to turn on and off all the levers, and I spent probably like 20 minutes trying to figure it out. I, I talked to our neighbor, I'm like, hey, is your water still working? And I, I was doing all this effort to try to get it to work. And all of a sudden, Light bulb kind of moment. Aha! Whoops! I forgot to call the town of Gilbert and have our water turned on, so we weren't even plugged into the source. So with that, it's I thought that was kind of a fun example of uh, for for this series. We want to stop trying so hard in our own efforts, uh, trying to flip all those levers and knobs and everything, and, and just get plugged into the source. Just surrender and rest in grace. And, Um, And that's so much more life-giving. So as we go through the series, may we learn more how to rest and surrender in the arms of grace and love and let his spirit move and inspire us to love from a place of overflow, joy, and adventure rather than a sense of religious duty. So out of curiosity, how many of you, when you hear someone say they're a Christian, have the immediate thought well, what kind of Christian are you? <laughs> How many of you have had that? I absolutely have. It's like, are you the judgmental, you know, closed-minded, anti-science, ex- you know, very exclusive kind of Christian? Or are you a life-giving, healing, restorative um, type of Christian? And that's always the first question that I think of. And unfortunately, that is the same for many people you know when when uh, i tell someone or, or when they ask me you know uh, about what i follow sometimes i feel like i have to make a disclaimer yeah i'm not i'm not that kind of christian and it's um it's unfortunate that we even live in a world where where that has to be clarified um and sometimes it is tempting to you know for a lot of people to say i want nothing to do with that anymore for me, I want to restore the beauty of what Christianity has always meant to be. Go back to the simplicity and beauty of Christ. And that's a lot of what this book is about. So, um, and I love that Pastor Ryan mentioned that the way, early, in the early church, Christians weren't called Christians. They were followers of the way. And uh, I always think of this is the way from, you know, if you've watched a certain show, this is the way. But people can be Christian and yet follow nothing, uh, seemingly not be loving people, be very judgmental and harsh and so forth. And then there are other people that may not ascribe to what, you know, Christian doctrine, and yet I would consider them very much a Christ follower in that they're following the Sermon on the Mount. They're living the teachings in the way of Jesus. Um, One example, in my opinion, is Gandhi he and a quote often attributed to him is i like your christ i do not like your christians your christians are so unlike your christ and a lot of times the word christian applies to anyone who just mentally asserts that jesus is god but so often they're preoccupied with having all their theological ducks in a row according to their tribe their denomination and it's about A mental checkbox of do you believe this do you believe this do you believe this and if not you're excluded you're not welcome here and I'm very thankful for places like the well where you don't have to agree with everything I say I'm perfectly fine with that pastor Ryan says the same thing but we can grow in a spiritual community where we can learn how to grow in the way of love and learn what it means to be a Christ follower and not throw the baby out with the bathwater so as You know, me personally, I do ascribe to, you know, being a Christian, and I love to dive into the theology of the Bible, um, theology of God, philosophy, um, so many different books, Peter Enns, David Bentley Hart, so there's so many good authors and content um, that I love diving into, the historical context of, of scriptures and the academics of it. But for me, I always have to be careful to not get so wrapped, in, wrapped up in just the head knowledge, that's important too. But I always have to bring myself back to um, not getting so wrapped up in that that I forget that at the end of the day, it's all about love. And, and one of the last discussions we went through as a connection group is that love matters more. It was a great book that brought us back to that where it's great to learn and to grow mentally but at the same time let's learn how to love let's learn how to be radically hospitable radically forgiving um, and so forth and be a community where we it's okay if we make mistakes we're not going to be perfect Um, I know I'm not but we can have grace for each other and learn and uh, and not be isolated in these times because our spiritual journey can be isolating for many people So in the first chapter, Jerzyk talks about, he kind of recaps his first book, which had a big impact on me, called A More Christ-like God. Um, This is the second book in his series, A More Christ-like Way, talking more about the humanity of Jesus, uh, what it means to live um, as human, as fully human. And then his third book that just recently came out is A More Christ-like Word, and it's about how to interpret scripture. So this is the middle book in that series, and he recaps the first book talking about four false images that Christians commonly worship. One is a retributive God. One is a distant God. One is a compliant God. And the fourth he talks about is a Santa hybrid, is what he calls it. And it fits in very well with even just coming off of our recent sermon series called Vintage Jesus, which was fantastic, talking about some of the counterfeits that people often believe when it comes to Jesus or God. And why does it matter what our perceptions are about God, about the divine? It's because we are, by nature, mimetic creatures, mirroring creatures. And so, subconsciously, we mimic the character and the actions that we attribute to God. And so, if we believe in a retributive and judgmental God, then that comes out in the way that we treat people. And to me, that's a big red flag of, of when people think of Christians, a lot of times they think of judgmental people. Maybe that's because people have a judgmental view of who God is, where God's angry at you. He's gonna send you to hell. He, you're under his wrath unless you pray a certain prayer. All those kind of more fundamentalist type of views. So Jesus said in Matthew 7:20 that you'll know by the fruit. So it's always important to, to take a look uh, what is the fruit? In John fourteen nine, Jesus said that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when we wonder what is God like, we look at Jesus. And Hebrews 1, 3 says that Jesus is the precise expression of God's very own being. And Colossians 1, 15 and 2, 9 says he is the image of God, the invisible one the firstborn of all creation. In him you see all the full measure of divinity that is taken up in bodily residence. So the scandalous news about the gospel, about Christianity, is not just that Jesus is like God, it's that God looks like Jesus. So if you have any image or theology about God that doesn't fit who Jesus is and was in his action and in his teachings, then we probably need to shift our theology (laughs) to align with that. So looking at some of the concepts there, does Jesus reveal a retributive God, ready to smite people if they've messed up? Is God a big mean dictator in the sky, just causing everything that happens? Can you imagine the story of the woman caught in adultery, and instead of Jesus breaking the religious laws of the time, to say, I do not condemn you. Can you imagine if he said, you deserve the fires of hell and torture. You are a wretched sinner and God can't even look at you and you need to be punished. That thought is so absurd and jarring because we just can't see Jesus like that. And yet that's how many people view Father God as retributive and judgmental. And so, we need to come back to God is not retributive. And Jesus reveals that. Does Jesus reveal a God who's compliant? A vending machine type God, who is just a genie of blessings for our health and wealth and everything, that, um, and, and for our own success? Or does Jesus reveal a God who is selfless, laying down his own comfort for the sake of others? One who says that suffering is normal, but he meets us in our darkness and our pain with radical love and acceptance. Does Jesus reveal a God who is distant and detached, uninvolved and uninterested? Can you imagine someone asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, I don't care. It's absurd. Jesus reveals through the incarnation, the crucifixion, in His entire life that God is involved, He cares, and that regardless of what people do to Him, He will never turn His back on us. He's closer than the air we breathe. It says in Colossians that He is the very source of our being. In Him, we uh, in Christ, all things hold together. He's the very source of being, consciousness, and bliss. And the last one was, does Jesus reveal a Santa god who he talks about as a combination of a legalistic, distant, materialistic, and compliant? And hopefully this doesn't ruin Santa for you too much, but, you know, some of the songs, I kind of scratch my head a little bit. You know, you better watch out, you better not cry, better not pout, I'm telling you why, Santa Claus is coming to town. Sounds very threatening. Uh... And does Jesus reveal a God like that, who's a moral Puritan and, and threatening? Um, if you're not well-behaved, I'm gonna give you a lump of coal. Or does, does Jesus reveal a God who tears down legalism, helps those in need, and doesn't threaten us with some sort of coal or, or torture or something like that? That's not the nature of who God is, as Jesus represents. He comes to us with no condemnation and no conditions. And even when we mess up, when my kids mess up, which, you know, they do, I'm sure very frequently. (laughs) Sometimes it's frustrating, yes. But at the end of the day, I don't want to, you know, uh, I don't want to smite them. I don't want to have, you know, uh, lock them in a room somewhere for forever. That's not the nature of what I want to do as a parent. I want I want to see the relationship restored. I want to see them thriving. I want to see everything uh, healed and um, us to be in healthy relationship. And this the is same is true for our Father God. And the last piece on that first chapter two is that um, we are not all knowing. I know I'm not. I don't know everything there is to know about science, the world, creation. Um, God, the universe. And we probably barely know a drop in the ocean of who God actually is. So when we approach faith and spirituality, we need to have an openness and a humility, not a closed-minded, dogmatic, I have all the right answers and you don't, and I need to bash you with my version of the truth. (laughs) It is, uh, we, we need to come with a posture of, it's okay if we disagree. It's okay, we need to have a humility as we go through our spiritual journey together, and to be able to do it in a community, which is, which is really what the well is. It's been a fantastic community, and I'm very thankful for it. So in a community, um, one, <laughs> one verse that I like is, in John thirteen thirty five. Jesus says, this is how everyone will know that you're my, my disciples if you bash people with your opinions and judge those who disagree with you. Does that sound right? (laughs) Nope, I think that's from the uh, Common Bad Theology translation. How about, they'll know you're my disciples if you deny science and exclude those who don't look just like you. Still no? How about if you pounce on and publicly shame anyone who makes a mistake or isn't as woke as you? Or how about if you have perfect theology and have prayed the sinner's prayer that last one seems to be what most christians believe but jesus says something far more radical he says in john 13 35 this is how everyone will know that you're my disciples if you have love for each other that's it it's not how many theologians and books you've read it's not it's not Mentally asserting all the perfect doctrines and having every all your ducks in a row It's are we learning how to love? And I'm not there yet. I'm still learning. I'm still growing You know being a parent definitely challenges my patience sometimes (laughs) But we're learning how to grow in love and that is what should make Christians stand out those who go the extra mile even for those they disagree with love that extends grace that accepts unconditionally that heals and restores a love that is brave a love that threatens powers and principalities who don't want the status quo shaken a love that refuses to fight violence with violence and that serves a love that serves with humility a love that ultimately makes the world a better place so that we can let his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven so one breaking point for many people is they just see what a lot of times Christianity has become and what it looks like in this day and age and they, they don't really want anything to do with it. They see Christianity and they don't see Christ in it. They don't see the way of love. It looks nothing like Christ and so a lot of people want nothing to do with it. A lot of times, these people are called the nuns and duns because under religious affiliation, they mark none. Sometimes they're referred to as exvangelicals. and many are just disillusioned and leave Christianity altogether. Some become agnostic, and there's everyone's on their own spiritual journey. Others still very much love and follow Christ. They just struggle to see him in the organized religion that they've been handed, and they're Some are lucky enough to find a community like the well where we can have a spiritual community that that we can wrestle with things, with with logic, with reason, with science, with um, spiritual community that that values people and doesn't bash bash you or exclude you if you don't agree with everything perfectly. But it's, it's nice when people can find in their spiritual journey a community that they can call home that is safe. So when people write off, or when people have a faith crisis, you know, a lot of times it looks like someone's having a faith crisis. A lot of times they're just seeing a version of Christianity that, that doesn't look Christ-like, and they're rejecting that in their spiritual journey. They're deconstructing that, the false image of what God and religion has presented them with. And I like how Brad Jerzak says, I struggle to understand how, in this era, Millennials are said to be the ones with the faith crisis. If we hand our sons and daughters a faith exposed to misogynistic, racist, unconcerned about creation and the poor, they aren't wrong to leave it. Some Pew research shows that between 2009 and 14, the deconstruction or dechurched movement is growing at at least double the rate of the evangelical church. And yet, many who are still, who are leaving organized religion still consider themselves spiritual and having some form of faith. They just don't have an outlet, a community like this that they can be a part of, where we can spiritually journey together in a healthy and um, productive way. And so I'm thankful, like I said, for places like The Well, where we can journey together, learn from each other, ask questions, wrestle with our, our faith and our doubts. We can read the Bible in light of its historical context. We can embrace science and logic. We can stand against racism. We can embrace inclusion. We can strive to have a, a humility and a grace. And we seek to follow the way of Christ, which is by nature loving, inclusive, accepting, and transformative. So in chapter two, he talks about the, the word deconstruction. And there's a fun There's a fun comic by uh, uh, um, an artist, cartoonist, that I really like. We can put that on the screen. It's called The Slippery Slope of Deconstruction. There we go. People in the upper right says, you need to be careful. This whole deconstruction thing is a slippery slope. How many of you have heard that? (laughs) Here we go on the left, The the Deconstruction Slippery Slope, Slippity Slide and going down and all the people at the bottom are, are having fun and, and feeling good. <laughs> and I like that illustration because it, it kind of contrasts the people who are, are very nervous and scared of asking questions with the people who maybe they've unburdened themselves from fundamentalism and unhealthy views of Christianity or the Bible to embrace a more loving and Christ-like way. Sometimes rejecting the bad is the first step at embracing something better, more Christ-like, more beautiful. And it's, it could just be part of their spiritual journey. Some common pillars or sources of deconstruction for people. Uh, eternal conscious torment, version of hell. That's one that gets a lot of people to question, is this really what I believe? Inerrant biblical interpretation. All of a sudden, people come across the fact that the Bible contradicts itself and they don't know what to do. Rather than see it as, as a, a beautifully inspired um, uh, journey of people discovering who God is could be LGBTQ could be bad end times theology it could be a wrathful view of God who had to kill his son to be appeased, which is penal substitutionary atonement theory could be suffering or it could be science just to name a few common. Uh, catalysts for people to kind of go on a spiritual journey and maybe deconstruct some unhealthy views. And there are a lot of prominent uh, ex evangelicals, if you want to call them that. Kevin Max, former member of DC Talk, he said that he now believes in a universal Christ, which reminds me of Richard Rohr's book. Uh, Michael and Lisa Gunger, musicians. And one, uh, Rhett and Link, which are YouTube personalities, I, I uh, have enjoyed some of their funny YouTube videos, but they were formerly missionaries for Campus Crusade for Christ. And there's a really good three-minute clip that I want to play just for you to get a sense of, of some of that deconstruction um, journey that they went on. Simply put, white evangelicals have been on
2: the wrong side of the fight against racial injustice okay, what about COVID? Let's talk about COVID. Let me just stop and acknowledge that for many of you who are already down the rabbit hole, uh, who have, who subscribe to a, uh, a Christian nationalism and have mixed, you know, Trumpism and Jesusism together, uh, nothing that I say is going to be compelling. In fact, and everything that I say is going to just confirm to you that I have completely departed from the truth and now live in a world of lies. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the person who sits next to you in church who knows better. COVID. Despite clear evidence showing that mask wearing helps slow the spread of COVID, white evangelicals are the group least likely to wear a mask in public. Least likely. If you throw a dart at a demographic in America, who's least likely to wear a mask? White evangelicals get that award. Although the COVID mortality numbers are within the range predicted by scientists at the start of the pandemic, and hospitals have been, as predicted, overwhelmed in many parts of the country, white evangelicals are the most likely demographic to deny the seriousness of the pandemic. White evangelicals are also much more likely than the average American to question the efficacy of vaccination in general, and more likely to believe false information about the COVID vaccine. All this has added up to being one of the key reasons that America has has had such a tough time with COVID. In short, white evangelicals have been on the wrong side of the fight against COVID. I don't wanna get into too many more details. I'm not trying to give you evidence and argue if you don't believe if you don't believe that covid is a real deal and you don't believe in masks or whatever i'm just saying that this is what uh this is what is born out in america so in summary uh white evangelicals largely not all again not all but largely and more than anyone else uh, represent an intersection of science denialism and racist ideas that have made them an impediment in the fight against both covid and racial injustice And instead of worrying about the poor and the black and the brown, who are more likely to suffer from both the pandemic and racial injustice, White evangelicals have been preoccupied with their own personal freedoms, spending more time and energy talking about their own persecution rather than those actually being persecuted. Sorry. I, I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure why I get emotional about it, but I think it's because... I was such a part of it
1: for so long. So So I watched that clip and it really spoke to me to see the the powerful emotion of course that he exhibits in, in his own journey of seeing much of what white evangelical Christianity has become and how it doesn't really resemble Christ and it's not whether you're Republican, Democrat, whatever else. It's not about finding those dividing lines. It's about coming back to the simplicity and the beauty of Christ. And sometimes it is um, powerful and emotional to go through your own spiritual deconstruction journey. And it's, uh, it's powerful, but good to have a place where we can have uh, connection and growth. So, of course, deconstruction has become a common term And we even read a fantastic book in our connection group a a little while ago from Mark Karras talking about the deconstruction and reconstruction journey from the lens of both a theologian and a therapist. And that was fantastic, it was really, really good. We had some excellent discussion in the connection group as well. Um, But in this book, Jerzak talks uh, and, and says it may be wise to assess the metaphors that we use Deconstruction evokes violent images of dynamite and jackhammers to the structures of our soul. And sometimes people can get lost in perpetually deconstructing and feeling lost or like there's nothing left when they blow away the rubble. So what if we approach our doubts and our questions and our spiritual journey in a more reverent and healing mindset? If God is in the business of restoring all things, Acts 3.21, one helpful metaphor may be to see the journey as more of an art restoration project. And I was going to read something, but for the sake of time, I'll, I'll just talk about how um, this one little part here. So he's talking about imagine that you find a beautiful artwork of Jesus, but there's just covered by dirt and grime and soot. You don't, you don't approach it with explosives and demolition. You approach it with solvents and brushes and care and wisdom And the beautiful image of Christ has often been obscured through the the years by political agendas, cultural assumptions, distorted doctrines, and the corrupting influence of empire, fundamentalism, literalism, nationalism, consumerism, so many layers that distort the beautiful image of Christ. But we need to approach it in in a manner that is reverence and trying to brush that off and get back to the heart of what does it mean to follow the Christ-like way, to follow the way of love. There's two, two pieces of art that um, he talks about in the book as well, just giving an example. The one on the left was, uh, uh, this is a work attributed to Leonardo da Vinci. The one on the left was sold for 45 pounds at one point, um, and then a world-class conservator bought it and restored it, and became the image on the right, and eventually sold for 450 million, which was a world record in the world of art. Um, But just a good example of that art restoration. So may we recognize the beauty and the adventure of following the true Christ. And together, may we brush off the grime that has been layered on to Christianity, to cultural Christianity, that has been passed off to us as true, and let us help recover the original beauty of following the way of Christ. So what is love, and what does Jesus command? Of course, he says, this commandment I'm giving you, if you love one another. Jesus says in John 15, 12, this is my command, love one another the same way that I have loved you. No one has a love greater than this, to lay down your life for your friends. So to Jesus, love is self-giving. It is other-centered. It's, it's, um, it doesn't hold on to privilege. So God didn't sit in a faraway castle in comfort without a care. He so intensely loves and cares for us that he entered into creation through the incarnation, felt what we feel, endured suffering and accusation with us, and fully embraced humanity in the midst of our mistakes and pain. To love people is to love God. There is no distinction. People are made in the image of God. And when we look at the parable of the sheep and the goats, again, which was not a parable about who's going to heaven, who's going to hell, some sort of uh, parable about that, which a lot of people try to make it into. It's about what we do unto the least of these, as Jesus said, you've done unto me. So when we stop our busy day and and help someone in need, uh, serve someone, help in any way that we can, we're serving Christ. When we look at the poor, the victimized, the broken, do we blame them? for not making good decisions in life or with empathy and compassion do we see christ in their eyes the image of god in their eyes and do what we can to help first john 4 7 and 8 um, and then 20 as well in the nt wright translation says beloved let us love one another because god because love is from god and all who love are fathered by god and know God. The one who does not love has not known God, because God is love. And if someone says, I love God, but hates their brother or sister, that person is a liar. Someone who doesn't love a brother or sister whom they have seen, how can they love God whom they haven't seen? So that love, just in in the same way that people have said, all truth is God's truth, no matter where it comes from. All love is God's love, no matter where it comes from. So how do we grow in the, the way of love, in the way of Jesus? Do we strive more, do we try harder on that hamster wheel of religion? Or do we respond to grace, which transforms us from the inside out? 1 John 4, 19 says we love because he first loved us. We aren't trying to, to perform in order to achieve acceptance and love. We're already unconditionally loved and accepted. So we're mirroring mimetic creatures. So the more we understand the extravagant love of God, the more we mirror that to those around us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14 that Christ's love compels us. It's that love that compels us. The more we receive that love, the more our hearts are expanded to love those around us. So see yourself as lovable and worthy of love. Don't believe that theology that says, I'm such a worthless worm, I'm wretched, I'm horrible. That is so contrary to what Christ says. And even as a father, if my kid said that to me, it would be horrible. And there's a great cartoon here I wanted to share that I also really enjoyed. It says, how a child should not talk to his father. Dear father, I'm unworthy to be called your child. Let me be your servant to do your will use me as your instrument take my mind take my heart take my body take my life i am nothing so consume me for your purpose and for your glory even though i'm the worst person in the world it's jarring isn't it because no child should ever talk to their father or mother like that and yet that's how a lot of people see themselves when it comes to their christian faith how many of us talk to god so we need to get rid of those negative mentalities and see yourself as as truly valuable because that's how God sees you. So I want to do a closing meditation exercise so if we could have some some background music and we'll do a meditation exercise to close us out. So if everyone could close your eyes as we start this as you breathe in think about the God in whom all things hold together from the smallest quark in Adam to the largest galaxy in your mind's eye look at Christ see his eyes Feel the warmth of that love and that acceptance. Breathe in that love. Exhale and let go of your worry. Inhale acceptance. Exhale and let go of striving. Surrender to grace, with God saying, there is nothing that you can do to make me love you more, and there is nothing you can do to make me love you less. I love you exactly as you are, for who you are, and I'm so proud of you. Let yourself receive my extravagant love and acceptance then you won't be able to help yourself from letting that spill over to everyone around you. May your cup run over. Continue closing your eyes and we'll close in prayer. I echo the prayer in the book of Ephesians 3. Because of this, I'm kneeling down before you, the Father, the one who gives the name family to every family that there is in heaven and on earth. And my prayer is this, that you will lay out all the riches of your glory to give us strength and power through your spirit in our inner being, that you may make your home in our hearts through faith, that love may be our root, our firm foundation, and that we, that we may be strong enough with all God's holy ones to grasp the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know your love, though actually it's so deep that nobody can really know it, so you may fill us with all your fullness. God, thank you that you are not a retributive or distant God. Thank you that when we look at Jesus, we see what you're really like. Help us to see the humanity of Jesus. And as we go through this series together, help us learn what it means to truly be human and to be a community that extends grace and love and compassion, and to help each other and to those around us. May our deconstruction and spiritual journey, may our deconstruction of unhelpful beliefs look more like an art restoration project to restore the beauty of the simple Christ-like way. May this be a safe community to ask questions, to doubt, to wrestle with tough topics. And as we grow our minds, keep our hearts soft to receive your grace and your love. And in turn, may we overflow that love and truly live the Christ-like way. In a world of counterfeits and misrepresentations, may we be Christians who genuinely reflect Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.